Welcome to Fanboy and the Hater, a podcast hosted and produced by Mike Hall and Jim Harris, where we discuss the best and worst in movies, TV, and pop culture, edited by Jim Harris, and music by Mike Hall. All right, today we are talking about The Mandalorian. Jim, what did you think about The Mandalorian? I may be the only person on the planet who has ever uttered this sentence. I hate Baby Yoda! And I hate Baby Yoda because Baby Yoda ruins the Mandalorian for me. I'll explain more about what that means as we go through the discussion, but that's my central thesis regarding the Mandalorian. All right. I, I was actually pretty indifferent about Baby Yoda. I didn't like it nearly as much as everybody else seems to. But it didn't really take anything away from me. I, I saw it as, as necessary. Didn't necessarily take away from the story for me. Um, I, I think it adds a little bit of an interesting mystique. But yeah, it didn't really take away from me at all. Um, for me, the series, I liked it a lot. If it wasn't a Star Wars series, I might not have finished it so quickly. I probably would have waited a few years before I watched it. Um but I think it would work still. I think it would still be good, even if it wasn't Star Wars. And I, I kind of wonder, from having talked to you about this before, if it wasn't Star Wars, I wonder if you would have liked it more. I don't know if you could ever disconnect it from Star Wars. And that's part of my problem with Baby Yoda, is that I really had high expectations for The Mandalorian going in, in part because of how... Star Wars, but not Star Wars, it could be. Mm -hmm. And then that's what Baby Yoda, in part, causes all sorts of problems for me. Because uh, there's not a lot of things in it that makes you feel like it's Star Wars, other than the Stormtroopers. And people thinking that the Mandalorian is Boba Fett. He's not! But again, <laughs> there are lots of things about it that, again, I actually thought it could have been a good show. And as we go through this, if Baby Yoda wasn't in the show... I think it would be a good show. But I think even, I guess, to your point, the things about the show that could have been good, it might have been barely recognizable as Star Wars, but it could have mm -hmm. been a good show. Yeah. Um, but like you, it's like I probably wouldn't have bothered to watch it, though. It would have gone on that list of long things that I should probably get around to watching at some points. Right. But because it was on uh, Disney Plus and because it was coming out just before... Rise of Skywalker, and we were all going crazy. We needed to scratch that Star Wars itch. And it was the first live-action Star Wars television show. It kind of made me feel like, well, I'm a Star Wars fan. Don't I have to watch this? <laughs> Fair enough. On the other side of things, I'm glad it went over so well because that opens up the doors to see more Star Wars things. And I'm, again, give me all the Star Wars. Even if it's not great, I'll still consume it. I, I'm glad that it's been positively received because, like you said, there'll be more Star Wars stuff. I mean, there was always going to be more Star Wars stuff. I'm greatly disappointed by it because it makes me less interested in watching <laughs> new Star Wars stuff. <laughs> <laughs> or 
or at least most yeah. of it. I mean, I am looking forward to other things like the seventh and final season of Clone Wars animated series is coming next month. Mm-hmm. I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, but I have, as we as we will hear why, I have no interest in watching the second season of The Mandalorian. I'm done with this show. I'm really curious on where they go with it. Um, and just just to put it out there, there will be a lot of spoilers throughout this episode. If you haven't seen The Mandalorian, it's probably best you uh, turn this off and come back to it after you've seen it. So let's just jump right into it. The uh, first thing and one of the main things you said that uh, you didn't like about it uh, when we were talking about it off mic was that you expected it to be a lot more about Mandalorians, and it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, as regular listeners know, I play the role of the hater on this podcast, as I am in this episode, because I am generally a negative and critical person. So it is rare that I haven't, as Mike has stated before, decided to dislike something before I've even seen it. (laughs) That's my natural position. I was actually excited to see The Mandalorian. Like a couple of years ago, even when it was first announced, where, where literally all we had was the name of the show and a poster that looked like Boba Fett that I obviously knew wasn't Boba Fett. That was enough. I was like, awesome. It's like if I was going to pick a... Uh, an area to create what Disney said. We want to tell, explore more of the Star Wars galaxy and tell new stories with new characters. I couldn't have picked a better choice than a Mandalorian story. And and just for um, to avoid confusion, when I'm referring to the the title character of the show, I'm going to call him Mando, as they do on the show. When I say Mandalorian, I'm using that as an adjective to talk about Mandalorian stories. Mandalorian culture, what's in canon for Mandalorian. I'm not talking about the show itself. So when I saw that it was The Mandalorian, I was really excited. And the reason for that is I was really concerned that a Star Wars television show would be would have the same problem that the movies run into, that they would feel boxed in by the stories of the trilogies and feel like they had to be beholden to them and be concerned about how they would connect or collide with them. And I really wanted them to get away from the movies and explore a story space where you could actually talk about other things. And the reason why Mandalorian was so exciting was there's very little in-canon content uh, that we can even rely on. In fact, the only thing that exists that's still in-canon comes from the animated series, uh, the Clone Wars and Rebels. Mm -hmm. And both of those are done by Dave Filoni, who was also involved in The Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. John Favreau was the executive producer, but Dave Filoni is involved. So I was like, this is awesome. So the reason why is because the planet Mandalore, just to maybe a summarize here, it is part of a large part of a Star Wars galaxy that has been left largely unexplored because it was a part of an alliance of independent planets that never joined the Republic. Right. They also remained neutral, during the Clone Wars, so they didn't help either the Republic or the Separatists during the Clone Wars. And, and, and they, not only did they fight against the Republic, but they also fought against the Sith. They, they've kind of fought against either side, holding to their own. Well, that was the other thing I was going to go. Is like they, they stayed neutral in the Clone Wars. They also kind of stayed when the rebel- they got conquered and occupied by the Empire, but their involvement in the rebellion was self, with with one notable exception, was very self-centered. It's like we just want the empire off of our planets. We yeah. don't give a shit about the rebellion or the rest of the galaxy. We just want Mandalore back. 
mm-hmm. there was only one character from Star Wars Rebels, Sabine Wren, who actually joined the actual full rebellion, and in part because she was an outcast on Mandalore. Right. So for those three reasons, and even if you just take, and then just to do one last thing, the other stories about Mandalore in canon, they're very anti-force. Like you just said, they didn't fight for either the Jedi or the Sith. They actually have a, a cultural distrust of anyone who uses the Force. Right, because that goes back to Knights uh, of the Old Republic type area um, eras, where not only there was an entire war between Mandalorians and the Jedi, and then a war between Mandalorians and the Sith, and that just kind of created an absolute distrust to anybody Force user, and so that and. People don't really, when they're, they don't get into the expanded universe, they don't realize that a lot of the cool weaponry and stuff that we know of, that the Mandalorians have, were designed to fight Jedi. Yes. Because they distrusted them and didn't like them so much. Yes. And going forward, like any time there was any kind of conflict, if they even see somebody use force powers, it's an automatic conflict. Yes. And again, it's those things that we've just talked about. That's the reason why you've never seen Mandalore or the Mandalorians in any of the live-action movies. Right. It's never been mentioned in any of the live-action movies because of the things that we just said. So it's like, what a wonderful way to have a safe storytelling space where you don't have to worry about getting pulled into the whole Empire, Republic, Jedi, Sith thing, because the Mandalorians are pretty much, we don't give a fuck about any of that. Now, hold on. I can hear people already going, well, now I remember there was Boba Fett. He was in those movies, and I remember it very, very well. Boba Fett actually wasn't a Mandalorian. He had Mandalorian armor. In in canon, that is true. And I did see also, though, so I've kind of seen back and forth that goes different ways about Jango Fett, whether or not he was a Mandalorian. A lot of people say he was not, but I see there was a storyline where he actually was the Mandalore which is the leader of the Mandalorians at one point, point. then he got defeated. Well, from an in-canon perspective, the Clone Wars animated series went out of the way to say, in fact, in the Clone Wars animated series, they were offended by the very notion that Jango Fett was a Mandalorian. Now, was that because he had been defeated and was outcast? Well, again... Or because he turned code, basically? There was no further explanation other than they, uh, like the Prime Minister of Mandalore was angry... That's like Jango Fett is definitely not a Mandalorian. And he just said he he had or stole Mandalorian armor. Um, so that's what that was established. Other people have said, well, maybe he was just part of a, a political faction that that prime minister didn't like. And that's why he was being so strongly anti Jango Fett. The whole Mandalore thing, I'm not sure so much about Jango, but I know in, it's not canon anymore. But in the Star Wars Legends novels, Boba Fett, was not only not only uh, a Mandal was a Mandalorian, he was the Mandalore. He mm-hmm. was the leader of the Mandalorian people in exile. I don't remember if those books meant he inherited that from his dad, but in the yeah. again, Star Wars Legends made a big deal about Boba Fett being Mandalorian and the Mandalore, but in the in canon material, again, there's very little of it to go on. Right. Clone Wars animated series said no. And again, that also could have been, they might have also just been uh, saying that because they were upset because Jango Fett became the genetic template for the Stormtroopers. That's kind of what I was wondering because, and what I had seen, and it was in the comic books, uh, where Jango Fett became the Mandalore, he was defeated, taken prisoner, 
and then kind of given the option, you can either stay a prisoner or you can become the template for the clones. And he chose to be the template for the clones. And I wonder if because he got involved, that's why maybe the Mandalorians ended up hating him and disowning him. I don't know. I haven't gotten that far. I haven't gotten that in depth yet. Yeah, it's actually interesting that the Boba Fett that's in the Legends novels, he's the Mandalore, but he doesn't give a fuck. He's like, yeah, I, I'm technically like the leader in exile, but who cares? There's nothing to go back to Mandalore for. He ends up he ends up going back to Mandalore and get there's actually some interesting non-canon stories about Bo- Boba Fett and the Mandalorians. And that's actually the only place for the most part that the Mandalorians are even in the Legends novels. It all gets revolved around the Fets. Mm-hmm. Which as a side note was the other reason why I thought it was brilliant for Disney to use the Mandalorian because even Pedro Pascal, the actor who plays Mando, when he was brought in to not really audition, they were just giving him the role. So he came in and he was like, so who am I playing? And they pointed to the movie, to the poster. He's like, oh, I'm playing Boba Fett. And I'm like, no, you're playing the Mandalorian, but that's Boba Fett. No. But (laughs) the reason that they did that is Boba Fett is, is an uh, easily recognizable, hey, that's a Star Wars thing. So going yeah. back to what you said before, if it wasn't a Star Wars thing, I think they intentionally used that whole, is that Boba Fett or not? So that people would know, oh, it's a Star Wars thing. Possibly. I can tell you, that, in, that impersonation was spot on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think it's interesting, too, that they went with Mandalorian, uh, just because, like you said, there isn't much about it in canon they're very mysterious, and I think it's important to note, too, that at this point in the timeline, the Mandalorians almost don't exist anymore. They'd been almost completely wiped out by the Empire, and they were so scattered that there was no organization anymore. So I think that's an important thing to keep in mind as we go through the rest of this, is I'm probably going to kind of come back to that, where I, I guess I can just jump into my, my side of this. When when Are, are you done with kind of why you wanted it to be about Mandalorians and whatnot? Well, it wasn't even so much that I wanted it to be about Mandalorians. I thought it was exciting because it really, they could have told almost any story that they wanted to. Mm. Again, they didn't have to worry about running in, um, running into contradicting or colliding with the movies. They could stay away from the whole Jedi Sith thing, the whole Republic Empire thing, and they could tell whatever stories they wanted to because it's actually so little in the in-canon material. It's not like they could even contradict that much. Yeah. Because in, in canon, the last we see of the Mandalorians is actually before A New Hope, because it's in the Rebels television series. The There are Mandalorian clans, warrior clans on Mandalore, but they basically took took the knee to the Empire. So they basically, mm-hmm. there's a, a civil war, essentially, on Mandalore, because half of Mandalore is basically just um, doing what the Empire tells it to do. Right. And then there are other clans that are trying to overthrow them again they don't care about the rebellion they just want to take mandalore back for mandalorians right and that's also where the dark saber becomes a uh sort of a critical aspect or a not a macguffin but an important object to mandalorians it dates back to we'll, we'll get to that okay that that comes up later on okay um but so- that was my main thing is it wasn't so much that i wanted specifically to hear the mandalorian story I just thought that if you were going to tell a story that would keep you away from the movies, new characters, new stories, yay. That's why I was excited for it. Okay. Yeah, I got... uh, I didn't really think this was going to be about Mandalorians. Um, But when I saw it as the Mandalorian, and they put out it as basically going to be a space Western, well, in my head, I'm like, well, Westerns are usually about a single person that's outcast, that's away from everything else. 
So that's what I expected. I expected it to be an outsider Mandalorian doing his own thing. So I didn't really expect to get a whole lot into Mandalorians in general. thought maybe bits and pieces. Um, I thought it would have been nice to have more about the Mandalorians in there because I'm very curious. They're very... In canon, there's a lot of mystique there that we don't really know a whole lot about them. It's very mysterious. Um, but on the other hand, if you look at what's in canon and then what this show talked about or, or showed about the Mandalorians, there's a lot of conflict there. Um, for instance, the whole not never take your helmet off, don't let anybody else take your helmet off. They have their helmets off all the time in, in other parts of the series. That that's the thing that's new that's definitely not in the in canon material. It was never explained in the show, but I just assume that the reason that that was in there is to try to conceal their identity and their numbers. Yeah. When we meet the Mandalorians in the first episode, they're hiding in the sewer. They appear to only go above ground one at a time. And if you don't take off your helmet, then they can't say, is that the same guy we saw before or is that somebody else? Yeah. And if they don't see your face, they can identify who you are. So I saw it kind of as a way to either that particular group or the Mandalorians in exile in general are trying to hide their numbers and their identities. That could be. But the show didn't even explain uh, That would have been interesting. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff about the Mandalorians that we see in the show that they almost immediately get discarded and we don't get to hear any of what could have been maybe an interesting yeah. backstory. The way I took it is it's uh, because Mandalorians in general are scattered around. And, and as we said before, there's a lot of different clans and the different clans have different cultures. Yes. And so I just kind of thought maybe this particular clan, that was their culture, which is different than other Mandalorian clans in general. So, yeah, I didn't really know what to think there. Um, I think it would have been interesting to maybe have a clan con conflict somewhere. Or maybe he runs into another Mandalorian from a different clan mm -hmm. and they have to fight each other or something. One big thing that did actually really bother me about it, though, is one of the things that it sets up towards the beginning is that pulse blaster rifle that he has. They talk about how, no, this is mine. It always goes with me everywhere. I never put it down, basically, is what he was it set up. But then it's gone for, like, the last three episodes, and we don't see it again. Like, what, what happened to this being, like, a part of your body that, that you never get rid of, and then it's just gone? It would have come in pretty handy in a couple areas. Yeah, well, I th it was also one of those forced, nostalgic, fan service -y type moments because it was going back to the whole no disintegrations right. from Darth Vader telling Boba Fett that. In Another spot-on impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, I mean, again, even if the show... I, I, I agree, the fact that it's The Mandalorian, not The Mandalorians, I was at least expecting like a parallel storyline to run through, even as it's the backdrop of the series that gave us some more stuff like... What's going on at Mandalore? Are these all the Mandalorians that there are? I mean, something. Yeah. But they like, and almost immediately, there's like, never mind. <laughs> but but they did kind of get into um, like the honor of the armor and, and getting the Beskar armor and, and getting the sigil and and kind of how you have to work your way up to earn it. I also like how they kind of brought into and it's an important thing to make sure that people understand is Mandalorian is not a species. Mandalorian is a culture. You, you can be a different. You can be brought into becoming a Mandalorian. Actually, they they dive into that, and again, in Knights of the Old Republic, in, in that series, they talk about how they would conquer a world and then offer you can become a Mandalorian or you can be a slave. It's up to you, and let people choose. And that's how they would kind of build their ranks for ongoing wars. The only caveat, I agree. 
The only caveat that I would add is that Mandalorian culture is has been relatively xenophobic and racist or speciesist, I guess might be the better term in Star Wars, that you really have to be a humanoid. You have to be able to wear the Mandalorian armor. So mm. there were a lot of species in the Star Wars galaxy that couldn't be Mandalorians because they couldn't wear the helmet. Like a Wookiee couldn't fit in that outfit. A Twi'lek couldn't fit in that outfit. A Gungan. So they have to be... Yeah, they would offer humanoid-like people. <laughs> what? Are you imagining Jar Jar Binks? I am. I'm imagining <laughs> Jar Jar as a Mandalorian. So, He's a gonna disintegrate you. <laughs> <laughs> this is the way, sir. Um, but yeah, this is... But that's... So that even when they show eventually that Mando got, gets rescued. But I, I think it is important to note that... And this is also comes... Not to jump ahead, but this is also one of the reasons why I have a problem with Baby Yoda. If it was a humanoid child, I could buy into it a bit more. But Mandalorians should be like, kill that fucking thing. I don't know what it is. Fucking kill it. Well, that's that's an interesting thing about the series, too, that kind of ties back into that. You know what? We're, we'll get into it later because that's, that's coming up where we just talk about Baby Yoda in general. Um, let's move on to the, the next section here. Um, one big positive that we both liked about it is there's a lot of cool new characters introduced in this. Um, me in particular, I really like Cara Dune. I think she's a very interesting character there. And I also really liked uh, IG-11. Those are my two favorite characters as well. And among my many disappointments with the show is, we'll get to Baby Yoda later, but if you were going to put together a crew and Baby Yoda had to be a part of the show, it would make so much sense if Cara and IG-11 were just a part of the crew. Especially the later season IG-11 when he becomes the babysitter robot because mm -hmm. then he could take care of baby Yoda and they can go do their cute things by themselves and then Kara and Mando can go kick ass. So if the four of them at the end of the season basically just became the crew of his ship, that would have been more interesting to me because yeah, Kara is arguably the most interesting character on the show and it easily. irritated me easily because it's almost like the only character that even gets any character developments for the most part. Mm -hmm. But the thing that irritated me about, they get rid of her twice. Yeah. Well, what irritated me was actually the ending of it when she's like, oh yeah, even though for like the last three episodes, I've been ride or die with you. I'm just going to go ahead and join this guy over here that I just met and let you go fend for yourself. Well, actually she was only in three of the eight episodes. We meet her in episode four. She seems awesome. And then at the end of the episode, she decides to stay behind. Yeah. So that's the first time that the that, show, I, that part I understood. That was almost okay, but it was like, I, I was disappointed. I was, I was like, you, you finally showed me a character that I was interested in, and you left her behind. Then she comes back for the last two episodes, and then at the end of the finale, she just stays behind on the planet. Like you said, it's like, uh, you just got rid of her again. Well, that goes into one thing that I know a lot of people were disappointed on uh, toward in the middle of the series was... The way that this series had been um, shown, bleh, what's the word I'm looking for? Promoted? Promoted. There okay. we go. <laughs> That'll work. That's not actually not the word I was looking for, but that's okay. close enough. All had right. been promoted as if it was going to be a group of people going through the series. And then it would like introduce the character. Like, oh, cool. We got one of these cool characters. Oh, and they're gone. Oh, look, we got another cool character. And they're gone. Like, what happened to the group that we were promised? And then we don't get that until the very end. And then it's still gone. And then it's still gone, yeah. The only character that we get that we can't get rid of is Baby Yoda, who I hate. 
So yeah, it's like if there was a character that you were gonna latch on to Mando, a Kara and Mando show would be fucking awesome. It would. You um, sure are punching down on uh Yes. Baby Yoda. Yes, I'm like Jason Sudeikis, who played the stormtrooper who punched his Baby Yoda repeatedly in episode eight. It's the only good part of the entire series for me. I'm betting you were a jerk <laughs> and you laughed hysterically when Baby Yoda got punched. I was like, punch him harder. Maybe he'll die. Keep punching. <laughs> As you were there and watched me laugh hysterically when Baby Yoda got punched. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, yeah, Mike is being rather hypocritical. He laughed harder than I did when Baby Yoda got punched. I'm a sick individual and I find punching babies funny <laughs> when it's fake. Okay, technically, when it's fake. it was punching the bag. We didn't see him technically punch Baby Yoda. It was implied because Baby Yoda was in the pouch, but still, yes, he was punching Baby Yoda. <laughs> but yeah, Cara Dune was a very interesting character. Had a good background. I, I would have wanted to hear a little bit more about the background, actually. That's why I was hoping she would maybe stick around a little bit more and maybe bring that out a little bit more. Well, she was an indi- it was what I was thinking of. I knew that there would probably be a character like her, and I was hoping that that's all that they would do. Use her to give just enough of a backdrop to establish where in the timeline are we, what's happening in the rest of the Star Wars galaxy, and why is it not all that interesting so we should pay attention to this show. And she did that by, by filling in sort of that... Um, she was with the Rebellion at the Battle of Endor, and then after Endor, and things got boring once the New Republic you know, got set up and most of the Imperials were taken care of. So again, now we know what's going on in the background. Cool. I don't need to hear any more of that anymore. Tell, tell me some more. Show me some new stories. Give me something to, to uh, watch. And then the, the problem for me is I found a lot of, especially the middle part of the season, just boring. There's a couple episodes like that. Um, Real quick about Cara Dune, one thing I was really confused about was she kept being referred to as a shock trooper. And in my head, whenever I hear trooper, I'm thinking Empire. You're thinking Stormtrooper. Yeah, I'm thinking, because, yeah. I mean, there's there's all kinds of different troopers in the Empire. I mean, there's there's Stormtroopers, there's, uh, oh, God, I can't even think of them off the top of my head right now. But there's, like, Death Troopers and Sith Troopers and, yeah, and they all prob- kinds of different troopers. They probably should have just used a different word. Yeah. yeah she was a rebel, like, commando. Like, like Shock Ranger <coughs> like, or yeah, something like that. Shock Ranger or Rebel Commando, something like that, just to avoid confusion. Yeah. But, yeah. That really got to me a little bit. And then I, I really liked IG-11, too. I thought it was a good way of bringing comedy and badassery at the same time into the series. It was, because it also, I mean, it wasn't hard to understand why Mando didn't like droids. That, to me, was almost immediately obvious from the brief flashback we got at the very beginning. But having a droid character that he hated and then had to learn to work with, I thought was good. And then just when IG-11 got interesting, he's dead. (laughs) But you know what? There was actually... I went back recently, um, over the last few weeks, actually, I went back and read a bunch of the Knights of the Old Republic comic books mm-hmm. which is very heavy in mandalorian and even back then they didn't like droids hmm. so i think it's i mean him in particular as well but i think just mandalorians in general don't like droids and actually that's one thing when i was going back uh and preparing for this i wanted to like look back at what do we know about the mandalorians and i i guess in, as part of the mandalorian culture it is considered a very high offense to be killed by a droid like basically it's like you were worth nothing if you got killed by a droid that means you are the worst mandalorian possible so that kind of i think tied into why they didn't like droids in general they thought they were insignificant i could see that i was just going yeah i I just saw more of the the, it was a way to tie it to the prequels yeah because it was the droid army from the clone wars 
And that's why he... That's, that's probably, why, probably... Yeah, it, I mean, but. Mandalorians in general, yes, what you just said. Mando specifically, in addition yeah. to that, didn't like droids because droids killed his family. Right. But IG-11, I mean, oh, that, that first scene with IG-11 going through and just taking out all those... I don't even know what they were that were the clan or whatever that was protecting the asset. Yeah, the criminals. Yeah, I mean, again, the show gets off to a good start. In fact, actually, I really liked the first episode until the pointy green ears came up out of the basket. And I was like, fuck you, Disney. That was, I was like, so I was like, Tell us wow. how you really feel. Exactly. So I was like, I was, I was like, this actually could be really cool. Nope. And though, I, although again, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead, but this was like, my only hope was get rid of this thing, get rid of this thing, get rid fuck. They're making the whole show about this thing. So again, I, I started off again, had high hopes before it started even like most of the first episode until we find out what the show's really about. You know he's angry because he's starting to smack the table as he's talking. He's <laughs> starting to shake things. Everything's good. shaking. <laughs> <laughs> um, another character um, that I liked that I would have wanted to see more is, that, um, I don't know if I'm saying it right, Fennec Shand. So in the, the episode on Tatooine, uh, the, the sniper bounty hunter that they fight. Um, oh, yes. And... It's- I wanted to see a little bit more of her, but at the end of that episode, what the hell happened to her? Uh, it it looks like she's dead, but then some mysterious figure picks her up and carries her off. So I don't know if she's actually dead or if she's most only mostly dead. <laughs> and, yeah, so and then her, never shows up. They never referenced that again. Yes, they were the taking thing. her to see Miracle Max. Yeah, because so, she was it. only mostly dead. Um, but yeah, I was disappointed that she died because she's. I like that actress. Mm-hmm. Um, so that she was dead. But yeah, the ending of that. I mean, I, I saw it as she was dead because of the way she got shot by that other guy and was pretty much. If she wasn't immediately dead, she was left to dead. Yeah, the fact that we never found out who that mysterious person was. I mean, it, it doesn't. Some people have said that was his Moff Gideon. That doesn't really seem like it would make much sense. There are two people that it could be, but again, I don't even know if I care to speculate because the show always sucks. Some people said, "Oh, maybe that was Boba Fett." Yeah, it could be. There's also in the in the in canon novels, there's actually a character on Tatooine who wears Mandalorian armor and calls himself like a sheriff. So that could have been the other character that it might have been. But that whole thing just goes away. And like the Tatooine episode becomes mainly useless to me because it's like if that didn't go somewhere and isn't going to go somewhere, then it was just a a lame excuse to go to Tatooine for an episode. Yeah, we'll wrap back to that. Um, But yeah, I did like that character. I would have loved to have seen more of her. If she could have been like a a recurring antagonist for, for Mando. That she kept like getting in his way. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, Quill was pretty interesting. Uh, Nick Nolte voicing it. <sighs> interesting character. I think brought a lot to the series, but at the same time, didn't really make a whole lot of sense and why he didn't do more, didn't get more involved. So I'm give and take on that one. I I, I liked him to a point, but he started it's it started to get old with me. Like two of the things in this show. Um, this is the way, and uh, I have spoken. Both of those get old really fucking quick. Yeah. And 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 that was the thing for me. It's just like, it was really weird. It's like, this is the way I have spoken. It was almost like, 
Yeah, it's like George Lucas is writing the dialogue again. It's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> but on the other, I mean, you have to have in any show like this, you have to have the wiser, older person that gives you the peaceful option and instructs you on what way to go. And I think they they used it sparingly enough that it was effective. Um, I think if they would have gotten more involved, it definitely would have been overpowering. Yeah, the fact that he got killed off was probably a good thing because yeah. he he had served his purpose. Yeah, and Nick Nolte can only be around for so long before he goes crazy. <laughs> um, I also really like the armor, uh, the the Mandalorian that made the armor. I would have liked again. It it goes back to the same thing. I would have liked to have heard more about all of the Mandalorian stories. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the the armorer was interesting. Some of some of what she did, again, I, I don't know if it really made sense or not, but. But yeah, I would have liked to have seen more of her. I really think it was clan specific in a lot of that stuff. Yeah, but then she she makes she gives him a, his signet to create a new clan. So it was it was again it was the only time we ever even heard the word clan used. So yeah. are the other people yeah. different clans? Was she the leader of a clan? Why was she the one that decided to give Mando his own clan? So like it would have been nice to have known who the hell was she? Do you know why? Because uh, I know Mandalorians in general use the Mythosaur sigil, but then each clan had its own sigil as well. It was like one on one shoulder, one on the other shoulder. I guess I've never really figured that part out, or is like one on the breastplate and one on the shoulder. I don't know. I don't think it's been really well explored in any of the in-canon material. Or is it like older Mandalorians and the, the older versions used the Mythosaur, and then as they grew apart, they developed their own? I don't know. To me, I... I, I've only watched, and this is all, one of the ways you can know that I didn't like the show, I've only watched all of the episodes once, and I have no desire to go back and rewatch them. I really thought that the Mythosaur was this, was supposed to be a tie-in to the, the sigil that the Death Watch had when they rescued Mando in the flashback scene. No, if you, if you look into the history of it, the Mythosaur sigil actually beat, was the original Mandalorian sigil. Okay. When the Mandalorians were first taking over Mandalore... Mm-hmm. Um, it was there was a bunch of mythosaurs, the huge animals, like vicious, like nobody could live on that planet because these animals would just destroy everybody. They came through and wiped them out, and they would leave the skulls of these giant mythosaurs out to show anybody that showed up how how badass Mandalorians were, and so that they ended up developing that skull into their sigil. Oh, is that the flying things that they rode? There's like some... No, that was a different thing. Oh, okay. Cause, yeah, because it was like a different animal. And again, all of the stuff that we're talking about right now, again, is not canon. It's all Star Wars Legends materials. Um, again, not that it's bad, but it's just like the in-canon material that's in Clone Wars and Rebels, pretty much the Mandalorians that we're talking about now were an outcast. They were a part of a group called Death Watch. Because mm-hmm. the Mandalore that we see... In the Clone Wars and Rebel, well, in Clone Wars, sorry, they basically became sort of a pacifist, artistic type of society. And Death Watch is basically like, no, we need to go back to our ancient warrior roots, and that's how we're going to survive. So that's why there's very little about what we're talking about, even in in the canon material. And then in Rebels, it kind of jumps ahead to that pacifist, artistic society got destroyed by the Empire and pretty much the only thing that's left is Death Watch-like clans, but they right. have some of them bent the knee, some of them are trying to fight against the Empire, but there's not as much. Again, there's very little, again, this is why I liked it, there's very little 
you can't do this because it's like that because it's very little canon material to draw from. Yeah. Uh, what I gathered from kind of just a real, real brief history of Mandalorians in general is at the beginning they started off, they had a very warlike culture because in their their mindset was progress and strength through conflict. So warring is the way. Um, this is the way. And basically <laughs> they would... Their idea and their religion was conquering is the law of the universe so combat is divine worship that that was their belief and then as things kind of went on um they they had what they called canons of honor which is basically what almost like their bible you know this is what we believe and this is what we do and then eventually the new mandalorians came through uh possibly created by republic pressure uh which is what you were talking about the peaceful one mandalorians and then yeah, Death Watch kind of splinter off from that. Like, no, we need to go back to the old ways. And eventually, they kind of came together and just kind of became protectors of freedoms in, in splinter groups. So more towards the Death Watch side of things, but they're more like, hey, people should be free. People should be able to live life the way they want to. That became the big part of Mandalorian culture. They were very, still very warlike, but warlike as far as protecting ideals and freedoms instead of conquering and again, this keeps going back to what I had said at the top. I mean, all of the stuff that we're mentioning here is actually non-canon material. But even the non-canon material is very interesting. Like everything you just described, if the show was about stuff like this, I thought it, I think it would have been an awesome show. Because Disney has already established that they're willing to actually canonize stuff that was uh, from the expanded universe. The easiest example is Grand, uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn was recanonized for Star Wars Rebels. Now, mm -hmm. I shouldn't say recanonized. The character became canon, and only the stories related to what he did in Rebels are considered current canon. But he was a huge and very popular character from the expanded universe. So some of these stories that you're talking about, about Mandalore, even from the stuff that was non-canon, it would have been very easy to recanonize the Mandalorian stuff because again, it doesn't fuck with anything else. Yeah, it doesn't contradict anything. I think else. that's what we're gonna get in. I'm, I'm hoping that's what we get in season two. I, I think the end of this one, when it gets the sigil and it is told to kind of move on and start building again, I think that's where we're gonna get some of that stuff. I hope. I, I think the damage has already been done. The the baby Yoda, you. the baby Yoda. Why? Well, I mean, because again, it's it the very fact that even the stuff that we're talking about at best can be a parallel storyline. It's never going to become what the show is about until they get rid of Baby Yoda. Maybe. Um, but I think it also kind of goes into, can, I mean, can you imagine a Mandalorian with force powers? Actually, yes, because that was one of the things I didn't want to jump ahead to Baby Yoda. Well, let's just jump into it, because that's okay. next. So um, I'm actually going to take a break. And let you rant about Baby Yoda. Do you yeah. want to talk about... Well, before we get to Baby Yoda, do you want to talk briefly about any of the other characters that we didn't mention? I don't think so. None of them really jumped out at me as being anything better than anybody else. Uh, Moff Gideon, maybe, just because he has the Darksaber, but we'll talk about the Darksaber later and what I felt about that. And yet, my only thing there is I, I like the actor, Giancarlo Esposito, because I'm a Breaking Bad fan. So. Never seen it. Okay, yeah. He's fucking bad. He can do badass and evil really well. So it's like awesome casting. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see where he will go with it. Cause he can do whatever they need him to do to play the, basically essentially the big bad on the show. 
That actor can do it. He he played it very well. I I don't know that I've ever actually seen him before. I might have and just never paid that close attention. I don't watch a lot of TV. Right. So, so I mean, yeah. before Breaking Bad, I'm sure he's been in other things, but I know him from Breaking Bad, and I he did, was badass. I did recently saw him. He was on uh, Conan, and they were talking about like some of the stuff that he always played. He's known for playing badass, and he's known for like. I guess people always want to like take pictures with him, like pointing a gun at him or something like that, because you know he's that threatening of a. He's he seems like a really cool guy mm-hmm. in person, but he plays that role really well. That he's almost typecast as that role. It seems like, but again, I don't know that I've ever seen him in anything. Yeah, he, he again. It's mainly coming down from from Breaking Bad, and maybe he's been typecast, like you said. He just he he can play that. You just see him as being dangerous. Even if he's not armed, he's just like a guy that you like. He's someone who can play the big bad in something. So that's mm-hmm. a great part of Cassie. But again, we've also seen very little of him so far in the show. And, and, even, and even what we have seen, again, going back to my fundamental problem, is he's also, until he, until he wielded the Darksaber at the very end, he seemed like the only thing he was interested in, like everybody else on the show, was Baby Yoda. Right. But... Well, go ahead and rant about Baby Yoda. Okay, so my big problems with Baby Yoda is it fucks with one of the main things that I had said earlier about why I was excited about The Mandalorian when I even didn't know what it was going to be about or where it was going to be set. Because again, that whole anti-force element that, you know, the whole worrying about getting the Jedi-Sith dynamic being dragged into the show, I didn't want to see any of that. And that's where I thought, all oh, the Mandalorians are perfect for that. Because, again, the uniquely identifying attribute of Star Wars basically is space wizards and laser swords. You know, if you see a lightsaber, you know you're watching Star Wars. If you see someone using the Force, you know you're watching Star Wars. But there's more to Star Wars than that. So that's why I was interested in this, especially since, as we've even mentioned, there's a lot of anti-Force sentiment in Mandalorian culture, much more so in the non-canon material, but also in the in-canon material. Baby Yoda, for me, fucks with all that because it puts at the center of the story a Force-powerful being that is, at the very least, the same race as one of the most powerful Jedis of all time, and then does the other thing that I didn't want to see this TV series do, connect to or make me think about the stories of the live-action movies. Because, uh, not just the movies, all of the other in-canon content that comes before or after where the Mandalorian TV series is set in the Star Wars timeline. And the big thing for me is, we know practically nothing about Baby Yoda, but the one thing that we have been told is that he's 50 years old. And that is problematic because that means that Baby Yoda... And again, we keep calling him Baby Yoda. He's not called Baby Yoda on the show. If you haven't seen the show, he's called the child or the asset. We call him Baby Yoda because, again, he looks like Yoda. Is he going to get a name? He's the, the showrunners say that he has a name. It just hasn't been used yet because, conveniently, he can't speak. But the fact that he's 50 years old, the reason that that's the big problem thing for me is that means that in the Star Wars timeline, he was born basically at the same time as Anakin Skywalker. So that means that Baby Yoda has been alive through all of the events of the first two trilogies, all of the events of the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels animated series. So it's forcing me to ask questions 
that I didn't want to ask. I didn't want to think about the movies. It's like, well, why wouldn't the prequel Jedi have sensed him? Or at the very least, why wouldn't Yoda have sensed him? Now, again, we know nothing, practically nothing about Yoda. For all we know, his species reproduces asexually. So we don't even know if he's actually biologically related to Yoda or just the same species. Or Who maybe knows? there's only one alive ever. Maybe there's only one alive. I mean, well, we saw two because in Phantom Menace, we met Yaddle. She's on screen for all of like three seconds as a female oh, right. Yoda. But then she just disappears. George Lucas even said he regrets putting Yaddle in the movie because he, he wanted Yoda to remain special. But So we don't know if it's biologically related to Yoda, but like how would the prequel Jedi's or at least Yoda not sense him? How would be how would Palpatine or any of the Sith not have sensed him? Sensed him? Maybe he did. I mean, we do have a storyline in canon from the Clone Wars animated series that Palpatine was having Count Dooku uh, kidnap Force-sensitive children mm-hmm. so he could run experiments on them. Maybe that's why this this particular one had been protected because it was so powerful. Because it's Yoda's species is so strong in the Force. Yeah. And again, until. Until The Rise of Skywalker had come out, we didn't know, because we didn't know until the movie came out, how was, Pal- was Palpatine actually back? So now that we've seen Rise of Skywalker, you also can't help, well, now we're thinking about the sequel trilogy, because there's a, a thinly veiled reference to cloning in The Mandalorian. They even used the word clone at one point. And now that you've seen Rise of Skywalker, although it's completely unexplained, you can't help but wonder... Is this how Snoot was made? So my problem is now we're asking questions that ties this TV series to all three of the trilogies, and I didn't want to be thinking about the movies. Yeah, but on the other hand, that is what makes Star Wars great is those questions. it, It always brings up all kinds of questions that creates discussion, and that's what makes Star Wars so great. It does, if I had any confidence in what Disney has been doing since they acquired Lucasfilm, I would be more excited about it. But again, we're going to talk about the sequel trilogy in many episodes, uh, so I won't go down that rabbit hole. But just seeing what they did with not just the sequel trilogy, but even the other in-canon material, uh, Disney has been far more insidious with their use. There is a new expanded universe. The old expanded universe was rendered Mm non-canon when Disney acquired Lucasfilm, which was actually kind of an overstatement because it was always non-canon anyway. It was like, oh, that's not canon. Well, no shit. It wasn't canon before. But they've created a new expanded universe, and they're managing it in a much different way than than Lucasfilm ever did. Lucasfilm tolerated and moderated the expanded universe, but they always said, eh, it's not canon, so we don't care. Mm -hmm. Disney is making a new expanded universe where everything is can- is canon, but they control all of it. Mm-hmm. But the way that they're mealing out the information, they're being intentionally ambiguous. They're intentionally opening up more questions than they're answering, not because I have any confidence that this is actually an interesting story. It's just all the fucking cross-media promotion. Buy Disney Plus and watch other shit, and you're going to have to read comic books and books if you really want the answers to this stuff. So if I had any confidence that Disney could tell stories, or for that matter, that they even cared to tell stories, then I would be excited about them bringing the movies in and thinking about that stuff. So I didn't want to see any of that happen. But as I've explained earlier on the podcast, I've come around to thinking, not just with the Mandalorian television show, but also with the sequel trilogy, I've just decided that 
anything that happens after the Return of the Jedi is non-canon to me. <laughs> so, like, The Mandalorian is like, I read the beginning of a bad Legends, uh, a series of Legends books that I didn't like the story of, so I stopped reading. The sequel trilogy, same thing. So, for me, the thing that I've said before is, <laughs> um, Disney cares about Star Wars and its fans the same way that Palpatine cared about the Republic and its citizens. It's Ouch. all It's all about empire building. For Palpatine, it was for power. For Disney, it's money. This show is not even for Star Wars fans. This show is for non-Star Wars Disney Plus subscribers who will watch it because the only fucking thing I ever hear when I hear someone allegedly talk about this show, Baby Yoda is so cute! It's a marketing gimmick to get non-Star Wars fans to watch it and casual Star Star Wars fans interested in it. Go ahead. But that's exactly the point. How many more people are they are they hitting and bringing into fandom because they love Baby Yoda versus how many, what, three people in the world are like, I don't like it because I don't like Baby Yoda. Again, I would buy into that if it was good. And that's, again, what it comes down to is like, Baby Yoda is ruining the show for me because... It is horrible. Even if you say, Jim, forget about all of the like baggage that you're swaddling Baby Yoda in and just try to appreciate the show for what it is, I argue that the show itself is not good. And the reason it's not good is for Baby Yoda. Even if you ignore Baby Yoda's baggage, he gets in the fucking way. Okay, and it makes so it hard. So, so I want to jump in on that because that kind of goes into my feelings on the Baby Yoda thing. So for me, the series is about the Mandalorian. But in order to bring a Mandalorian that's part of a clan away and on his own, there's got to be some sort of catalyst, some sort of conflict that makes him uh, gives gives him some sort of uh, conflict internally. Is his moral obligations to the Mandalorian clan versus his moral obligations to something else? So what do you do? And if you bring a baby, be it Baby Yoda. Or Baby, anything doesn't really matter. Something about he needs to protect this young thing, but protecting this young thing means he has to go against other things that he believes in and, and is important to him. If you don't have that kind of emotional turmoil, you don't have a show. So you've got to have some strong other character that is strong enough and maybe overpowering enough to bring that about. I, I agree with that, and it could have been done better if that was what they really cared about. They never really established enough of he really cares about the, the way and the creed, and he really feels very conflicted. Because actually one of the first things he does after he reluctantly rescues Baby Yoda is he tries to dump him on a planet and run away. But not to get off on a tangent. So my, my point there is I, I agree that the show needed something if this Mandalorian was going to be different. But look at how it's gotten in the way of, not the way, how Baby Yoda gets in the way of the storytelling of the show. We know very little about Mando. Mm -hmm. In fact, even the backstory that we finally get for him in Episode 8 could have easily been told to us right up front. All of the rest of his character development, which there barely is any, all is in relation to what's best for Baby Yoda. 
And every time he even takes a step where he, where we might actually be learning more about him or his ability to make a decision that's not about Baby Yoda, the show snaps him right back to being all about Baby Yoda. So that's the thing that annoys me. It's just like, it's too much of an anchor. We're not but, getting But enough. that's what the show is about, is his relationship between him and Baby Yoda. Then call it what it is. Adventures in Yoda babysitting. Don't call it the fucking Mandalorian. Because the fact that he's a Mandalorian doesn't fucking matter. He's a fucking glorified babysitter. But again, I'm going to go back to you. This isn't, this isn't called The Mandalorians. It isn't a show called, hey, this is about Mandalorians. It's called The Mandalorian. A singular thing. And it was sold to us as a space western, which is basically what westerns are. I mean, you got a single person. Oh, really? The there are babies in space in westerns? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying, but the show is about this Mandalorian and his need to protect this baby. Well, his whole need to protect this baby seems completely unnecessarily attached to him being a Mandalorian. But who cares? Some Have somebody else find Baby Yoda. But you know what? That actually goes back into, again, going back to what the Mandalorians are about. That is actually one of the key things about the Mandalorian culture is protecting children. If it was humanoid. Not necessarily. Yes, it is. They are a xenophobic and racist slash species thing. Even the armorer says at the end of episode eight, obviously this thing can never be a Mandalorian. And what did she tell him to do? It's probably the Jedi's bring it back to the Jedi. If you wanted to actually tell a story that would have been interesting, if it was a humanoid child, then you could see why he would, it would remind Mando of, of himself. And it would be the way to rescue that child and then raise it to take the creed and become a Mandalorian warrior. If that child happened to be force sensitive and that was more subtly revealed and then the whole Darksaber thing comes into play, then that would have been an awesome story. A young kid trained to be a Mandalorian warrior who also happens to be Force-sensitive could wield the Darksaber and then fuck the Jedi and the Sith. Let's have a new friggin' Force-powerful culture built around a Force-powerful Mandalorian warrior. That would be fucking awesome. Yeah, that would be awesome. I'm not going to that's even where that. the Darksaber comes from, is that the only Mandalorian in history who was ever a Jedi... He made the Darksaber as his lightsaber. Mm -hmm. So that would have been all in play for me if it was a humanoid child. Baby Yoda fucks all that up. Again, Not I, necessarily. He's starting his own clan. But again, it doesn't make sense for a Mandalorian to want that thing. Again, like we even said before, Mandalorians historically have been distrustful of anything that uses the force but at this point i'm i'm glad you just said that because i actually wanted to come back to that okay at this point in the timeline usage of the force has become forgotten and more of a myth than anything remember they, they when even when like vader comes up and stuff they're, they're, they kind of like oh I, th I didn't think that was real i didn't think that was an actual thing so they and, and notice throughout the series whenever he does something that's force powerful everybody's really confused about it they don't understand what's going on. At this point, they don't know what the Force is, really. Most people don't, at least. The Armorer did. The Armorer did, but nobody else did. Which is also why it doesn't make sense that the Armorer would say, yeah, I'll make you a clan of two. But then she even says, this thing probably belongs to the Jedi. Go bring it back right. to the Jedi. But again, I'm going to go back to, uh, yes, they, they didn't allow other species into the Mandalorians. But they were still, uh, again, Mandalorians had changed to protectors. And they, they, they were always, and if you go back and read a lot of the stuff, 
they were always very, very family and child centric. They wanted to protect children. Well, again, we're going back into we're arguing about something that's non-canon, but yeah, it yeah. could. But again, you could say that that's just the story that they're telling of about how the Mandalorians are. Mm-hmm. But then why? Again, it didn't really seem like the other Mandalorians that were down in the sewer were all that family centric. Why weren't there other children? Why weren't there, wasn't there more discussion of clans? I mean, so it just seems weird. But we didn't see much of them, so we don't know. Maybe there is, and we just didn't see it. Well, again, keeps coming, bringing me back. It's like the show just kept revolving around Baby Yoda. It's also a very weird character to put at the center of your show because we have no backstory for it other than it's 50 years old. It can't speak, which is also annoying because you have a, a, a title character, Mando, who doesn't like to talk, paired with a, uh, with a secondary <laughs> character who can't talk. So it's like, great, that's a fucking fantastic combination for giving us information. Yeah, I guess. To, to me, I didn't think the whole series necessarily revolved around Baby Yoda. It revolved around the relationship between Mandalorian and Baby Yoda. And yeah, at the beginning, he was he was very like, okay, I just want to, I want it protected, but I don't want to be tied up in it. And then he had to be tied up in it. And I think it, that's what the show was about, was him trying to do the right thing but still do things the way he wanted to and then getting tied up and having to take care of this thing that he didn't actually want. I think that's what the series is about. So it is about the Mandalorian, but it's about how this Mandalorian got tied up with baby Yoda. Yeah. And it's, we might have to agree to disagree on this. You have to agree to disagree. Cause I, I still fundamentally say that's not a very interesting story for me. It's just like, I don't care about that see to me i think that's a by the book story well then it's at best a boring story than if it's a by the book story but well, that's kind of what it, also when i say it said at the beginning how this could have been just as good of a series not being star wars related you could make up a different culture that's uh, to me mandalorians are I, I call them space spartans and any you, you could just come up with anything that's like that and it doesn't have to be a baby Yoda. It could be any other species, you know, something. And it'd be exactly the same story, just outside of the Star Wars universe. And it would still be good to me. So that that's where I'm kind of coming from. I'm like, it's not good because it's Star Wars. It's it's a good story that I think if, if you are too tied to the Star Wars, I can see this being upsetting. But as somebody that likes to step back as... I'm a big Star Wars fan, but I also kind of consider myself a casual fan because I don't get all nerd ragey in depth in the lore. I go, oh, that's cool. That's an interesting story. I, I'm I'm very yes and about just about anything nerd related. There's not a lot that I, I kick back on unless it really doesn't make sense. And to me, I can make all of this make sense. So I enjoyed it. Yeah, again, again, it keeps coming back to me. Again, it was so much of not what I was expecting because mm-hmm. I was excited about it. I was excited about it being the least Star Wars Star Wars story because it would have been technically Star Wars, but there are other interesting things that you could explore. Oh, yeah. So by bringing, again, especially being Baby Yoda, it, it just for me, marketing gimmick, cross-media integration and tie-in for Disney... Um, yeah, you could say it's bringing in more fans. I don't really think it's actually bringing in more fans because, again, I don't really think that they really care much about Star Wars. It's just another way to 
make more money off of the Lucasfilm acquisition. For me, I, I can't help but wonder, like the other thing that, that really confuses me about The Mandalorian is almost the absence of any type of critical or negative response to it. Like everyone seems to really very much like it, but there's a lot of people who love it. And I'm confused because I don't, I hate to make this analogy, but it reminded me of The Last Jedi in this respect that I hated The Last Jedi, but it didn't surprise me that some people liked it. It surprised me that people loved it, especially when people explained why they loved it. Because when I listened to their explanation, it's like, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. Yeah. Like when people were talking about how, you know, Ray being a nobody was some great new idea. No, it's not. That's been how Star Wars has always been. Right. Or some of the other things. Oh, they're throwing out the Jedi and the Sith. It's like, it's still Star Wars. It's like all of the things that they were saying about all this brave new direction. It's like, no, it's not. It's Star Wars and it's Disney. It's like, so the people who said that they loved The Last Jedi is like, I don't even know what's going to happen in the third movie. You people are going to be very unhappy. And they were. And they were. But the same thing here. Like the, the I read articles about people saying why they love this show. Some people are saying, oh, it's great that we're getting a, a show that's not all tied up in the Jedi Sith stuff. What fucking show are you watching? Baby Yoda. Yoda. Jedi Master. I mean, how the fuck is it not tied up in the Jedi Sith stuff? Or other people say, oh, it's great that we're finally seeing a small story that doesn't get pulled into the drama of the movies. What fucking show are you watching? It's fucking pulled into and on a collision course with all of the movies. Yeah. So that's those are the people are like, I think those people are like, eh, I think you're going to be disappointed when season two comes out because it's going to be doing the things that you say it's not doing. I wonder if those people are actually Star Wars fans that are saying it. I don't think, I think at best they're probably casual fans. I, I should rephrase that as being, I wonder if they're, they like Star Wars, but they don't like really get in depth in Star Wars. Um, those are probably the people. And just just because I have it up here real quick, I want to mention. So right now, the scores for Mandalorian, IMDb has it as an 8.8 .8 out of 10, and Rotten Tomatoes has it as a 94%. And I think the amazing thing about Rotten Tomatoes, I think it's it's equally high on both sides, both like the critics and the audience love it. Um, usually, like maybe sometimes, when, yeah, there yeah. it is, ninety four percent and ninety three percent. So, yeah, because sometimes you usually get like like say we, we've seen kind of the opposite with the the second and third movie, the sequel trilogy. The critics love the Last Jedi. The audience score was closer to fifty percent, and it's almost going the opposite for Rise mm -hmm. of Skywalker. So that yeah, just just befuddles me that everyone seems to love it. Now I'm going to caveat here because yes, I did like the series. I didn't love it. I just thought it was a good series. And I I also would like to argue that I think Disney was brilliant in in sense of when they released it. I mean, seven of the eight mm -hmm. episodes of The Mandalorian aired before. Uh, in the lead up to a rise of Skywalker. So right. it wasn't in, uh, uh, the season finale was the only thing that happened after the opening weekend. I really argue that if the Mandalorian debuted in January after the rise of Skywalker had come out, I think it would have been responded to differently. I don't know because I think a lot of people weren't paying very close attention to the Mandalorian because they were actually just using it to distract themselves while they were waiting for rise of Skywalker. Um, and I've only now just recently in the last couple of weeks, this is you know, early January 2020 that we're recording this, just even starting to see articles where people, they're not negative articles, but articles where people are taking a more critical look at, huh, Baby Yoda, 
ooh, shit, is he Snotes? Because like, it's like, oh, wow, really dark future stories could be in store for Baby Yoda, or, huh, some of the Mandalorian stuff doesn't quite make sense, or, huh, they're really going to have to bring in the movie stuff. So I'm, I'm, they're not, they're still not negative articles, but it's like there's articles that are starting to surface where people are starting to realize that it's not as far away from the movies or the Jedi Sith stuff that they thought it was when they might have seen it uh, casually the first time. Because in fairness, with the exception, unless you get dragged down by Baby Yoda like I am, there really isn't anything in the movie, in the I'm sorry, the television series that explicitly forces you to think about the movies. I put all yeah. of that weight on Baby Yoda. Right, right. Um, so a you're, casual, you're, you're thinking ahead and thinking back and yes. piecing all everything together. Yes, and I agree. I mean, that's either Baby Yoda is going to have to die sometime soon, or be cut off from the Force, or something's going to have to happen there for the rest of it to make sense. And I really feel like. There really is nothing good that they could add to the Baby Yoda story that will make it better. But I also think that it's going to be something that is also done in the other things that Disney does. I don't think they're going to answer where Baby Yoda came from in season two. I think there'll be just bits and pieces and it will stay ambiguous. Mm -hmm. Because once something is explained, it's no longer as interesting. It's part of the reason why not to take a tangent. But it's part of the reason why so many questions were left unanswered by Rise of Skywalker. It's done on purpose because if it's open to interpretation and ambiguous, people continue to talk about it. If we got a definitive answer to how Palpatine came back, then it would be less interesting because we would have an explanation. I don't think you're going to get a full fucking explanation of Baby Yoda in season two. In fact, I wouldn't be shocked if it was some weird shit where next to nothing happens and then like in the season finale someone who looks like maybe could be Luke Skywalker or Ahsoka Tano shows up but you're not sure so it's going to be another one that they're going to milk it for as long as they fucking can take my money I'm game and you'll be all in on it, but I think people will start. <laughs> You're going to hate it. I'm going to, well, I'm, I'm not even going to fucking watch it, but I think even the people who love it right now are going to be like, okay, this is starting to get a little fucking annoying. Tell mm-hmm. us what this is. Or, or again, the other thing that they could do to save themselves, fucking tell more of the rest of the story. Right. But on the other hand too, I'm going to, I'm going to go out and say part of what makes Mandalorians cool is that they are mysterious. If you answer all those questions, I think the Mandalorians become less cool. Oh, I don't want all of the th- questions answered. I want some of it at least. I want some of the questions to even be asked by the show itself. It doesn't even fucking give you any of the questions. Like, fucking show us what's happening on Mandalore. I don't need a full explanation. Spend a little bit of more time with some of the other Mandalorians. I don't need an explanation, but something more, a little bit more about that part of the universe because are you, they're, are they're you already, about to have a stroke no they're already <laughs> like the, the showrunners are already saying oh there's going to be some exciting guest appearances in season two fuck you because it's going to be tie-ins to the movies and to the animated series like i'm fairly short fairly certain that bo katan is going to show up in season two in fact she might even be the fucking armorer for all i know Okay, no one knows who that is. She's the last person who we've seen in canon wield the Darksaber. And she was played, she was voiced, I should say, in the animated series by Katie Sackhoff. 
And that actress has been saying, I just did something really cool, but I can't tell you about it yet. So I think she's going to show up in season two of The Mandalorian. But I I also, I'm also thinking it's going to be small and relatively unexplained. It's going to be something that shows up like, huh, kind of like how the Darksaber was. Like most people who watch, like casual fans were like, what the fuck was the weird thing that Moff Gideon had? It's like, I don't even know people who know what the Darksaber is. Yeah. I mean, man, that would be cool actually if it if it ended with her getting the dark saber back and starting to rebuild the Mandalorians. I think that opens up a lot of a lot of room for future. Cuz the last last we saw of it, Sabine Wren, the Mandalorian female warrior, kick-ass warrior from um the Rebels, gave Bo-Katan the dark saber mm-hmm. saying cuz Bo-Katan is the sister of a Duchess of Mandalore who is Obi-Wan Kenobi's lover in um alluded to potential lover in the early days of his Jedi days in uh, the Clone Wars animated series. So those characters could pop up. As a side note, since we just talked about two female warriors, that's the other thing I was disappointed about Cara Dune's character. She could take the creed. She would be a fucking awesome Mandalorian warrior. Yeah, that's true. It's like, have her join his clan. She already understands what Mandalorians are, and she already kicks ass. She would fucking give her Mandalorian armor and weaponry, and she would be fucking amazing. True. Yeah, I, but then she would overpower, and it would be, end up being about her. I would actually rather have it be about her, because she's I'm more interesting. She is. And that's, <laughs> again, that kind of goes back to what the one thing that did really upset me is at the end when she just nonchalantly goes off with uh, Grief Karga instead of going with, the Mand- with Mando. Which actually, we didn't talk about Grief Cargo when we talked about characters because that I know a lot of people really like him. Mando, I didn't really care. Uh, he he was for yeah, me. Could have been anybody. Even more plot device than character. Yeah. Someone had to be the guy from the bounty hunter guild. Right, Someone right. had to be the so Carl Weathers, great actor for that. So yeah, I had no problem. I felt nothing for him in either direction, but I had no problem with him. Right. Yeah. So again, so the thing for me that I keep coming back to, it's frustrating to me because there seems like we've seen bits and pieces of it in the background, bits and pieces of it with other characters, um, that if Baby Yoda wasn't in the show, it seems like there was an interesting Star Wars story, or just maybe not even a Star Wars story, but an interesting story that could have been told. And if they could have focused on that, then I think the show could have been awesome. But instead, Disney has seemingly decided to go with, Ah, some instead by focusing on Baby Yoda. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to come back to something that I, I've been hearing a lot of people say, and I I keep it in the back of my head as well, is Star Wars is for everybody, but Star Wars is also very much for children. Which is why I didn't have a problem with, as much of a problem with Disney being the one who bought Lucasfilm. Yeah. And actually kind of almost made sense. But think about this series from a child's perspective. If Baby Yoda wasn't a central focus, what is there for a child to latch on to? Um, I now, guess, now, me, I would have latched on to murderous I, I, robot. Yeah, but say, I mean, how young? I mean, there's there's a lot of, like, violence and stuff in there that, that kids would, would kind of latch on to. In fact, actually, I, I saw, I read one post that... Um, made a pretty interesting comparison that the show almost feels like a live action video game, not a live action yeah. television series. Cause it's like Mando's like your avatar. And then the other characters are like non-player characters in the game. 
because a lot of it, I mean, there's not a lot of yeah. first-person perspective camera angles on it, but sometimes it almost feels a bit more like the story that you would get in a video game as opposed to hey, the story you would get in a But you TV know what? Show. In my opinion, from the video games I play at least, video games have way better stories than a lot of TV shows and movies. I would agree with that too. I mean, I don't play as many video games as you do, but that's the other thing that kind of frustrated for me. It's like a lot of it, it just didn't even feel like it coalesced into yeah. a story. I, again, it's... But it's again, only one season, only eight episodes, but yeah. still. Uh, and they were really testing the waters in this as well. Yeah, and that's the other thing, too, that kind of annoyed me about, about the show. is like, it's not going to be the only TV show. So why did they have to throw Baby Yoda and stuff like that? At best, for me, maybe have like a separate Force-centric uh, well, show that Baby Yoda's on that. And then you can keep like the four stories over here and the non-four stories separate. And then there's, there's plenty for everybody, and they could be interesting. Baby Yoda kind of like seemed like they were just putting everything all in one bassinet, and that's like why. It's like, <laughs> but why? Star Wars always has to have one character somewhere that is really just for kids to latch onto. As much as you hate Jar Jar, kids like Jar Jar. The robots were super, super Roger Roger, but kids really <laughs> like that. Ewoks, people that were older hated the Ewoks. People that were younger loved the Ewoks. The reason I'm laughing is one of my favorite jokes from Star Wars Rebels. Is at one point they have a, an episode where where the robots from the Clone Wars uh, feature in the episode, and one of them goes Roger, Roger, and Ezra goes, "Who's Roger?" <laughs> I, I just saw that. One. <laughs> and I was like, I laughed so hard at that. It's like, oh, by the way, side tangent. I'm not anti Disney. Star Wars Rebels was done entirely under the Disney umbrella, and it is fucking awesome. I just finished it again. And actually, we've been going back and forth on this. I've been saying that. I don't think I saw all the episodes. I mm -hmm. did. I'd seen all of it. But I just watched them again, and they are great. Clone Wars is also really good. Clone Wars is really good, but that was done under George Lucas before oh, the yeah. acquisition. Season 7, the final season, will be done under Disney. But Star Wars Rebels may be one of the best Star Wars stories ever told. We're going to definitely do yeah. an episode about that. So I'm not saying that Disney can't do Star Wars, because they can, because Rebels is awesome. But this also, uh, I'm going to go, this kind of parallels also with, so in in the Clone Wars series, they really balanced up the, the, the hefty, the weight of, this, of the episodes with the childlike humor and everything. And, and there's always, there's something for the adults and there's something for the children. And that's really very much what Star Wars is. There's, there's very heavy moments for the adults and there's a lot of things for the children to latch onto as well. And in this series... It is very heavy and very adult-like. They've got to have something there for the children, and to me, that's Baby Yoda. I see it being more for <clears throat> family-oriented, maybe not for the kids, but more for families to watch the show together. Right. Um, but yeah, I can see that appeal to it. If there wasn't something super cute that connected to the bigger universe, I don't think younger people or casual people would have latched on to it or even taken the time to watch it. I don't... Uh, until the reveal of Baby Yoda, I heard almost nothing about Mandalorian other than, huh, I wonder what this is going to be. But Baby Yoda really brought the attention to Mandalorian and brought a much bigger audience because people were curious. Yeah, and again, if it was either at least a parallel storyline or it could have been used as like a, a backdoor pilot to another show. Because like in the timeline that the series is set, technically it's not impossible for Ahsoka, Tanner, uh, Tano, and Ezra Bridger to be alive. Yeah. Because at the end of Rebels, 
Sabine and Ahsoka go off to find him. Um, it's also not impossible for Sabine Wren to show up, which would also be kind of awesome. That could be that one of the other awesome. cameos. She would be older, but still not too old. Her character mm. would not be too old to appear. So again, there could be some interesting cameo appearances. In fact, the, the seventh and final series of the Clone Wars animated series is coming out next month in February 2020. I would be shocked if there's not a Mandalorian-oriented episode in there. Oh, I'm sure there will be. I think we're going to get maybe a little bit of find out who the clan was that rescued Mando. Maybe, maybe. we might even see the, the rescue of Mando, and maybe they'll even explain the whole the creed and the way comes from a clan we haven't seen before. And that wasn't death. Maybe show that battle from the other perspective. Right. Exactly. So I I would be shocked if we didn't get something like that. I also would be shocked if we didn't get something along the lines of um, maybe even hinting where Ahsoka is. Maybe we know she's alive in rebels. So we know she survived the clone wars. I also would be shocked if there wasn't at least a Palpatine's concocting a plan. We won't know what it is. So there will be some things yeah. in that in that season that will tie into everything a bit more, and I would be shocked if even I don't I don't even know maybe we'll even see. Oh, the Clone Wars is set at the wrong timeline, so we it's before Rebels. So I'm about to say we can't talk about the dark saber in Clone Wars, but I I would be shocked if there wasn't at least one Mandalorian oriented episode. Well, the dark saber was made way before, so it could be in Clone Wars. Well, no, no, it, it could be. It was actually in Clone Wars, but my problem is that the last time we saw it was in Rebels, and Rebels oh, right, is after right, right, Clone right, Wars. Yeah. Um, it could come up in Resistance somewhere. I I, I I have no interest in Resistance, so I haven't watched it. It's um, it's an interesting story. It's, it's much more child-centric, in my opinion. It doesn't have nearly the... And ironically... The it's, it's much more child-centric, and ironically, it has the thing that I say I wanted Mandalorian to have. It doesn't have the Force. So it's a non-Force-centric right. uh, story. For somebody that was so upset at Last Jedi because it didn't have much for <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so uh, let, let's, let's move on. Let's get away from Baby Yoda, and let's talk about another big positive that, that we both really liked. Um, this series had a lot of really cool action scenes in it. It had really cool practical effects. It it looked really good. Other than one part, to me, um, the the effects failed miserably. One minor part. What uh, was that? In the final episode, when uh, right after Baby Yoda gets punched, and uh, IG Eleven comes and saves him, basically there there's a scene where he picks up Baby Yoda and goes to get on the speeder bike, and it looks very uh, Tim Burton claymationist. It it, <laughs> it looked horrible, and that. It takes a lot to take me out of a scene, and that took me out of the scene. I'm like, what the hell was that? They got millions of dollars, and they couldn't have put a little bit more into making that look a little bit better. But that also goes into this. This actually did have a fairly limited budget, which kind of goes into why it was so short. Um, they only had so much to work with because they were only willing to throw so much into it until knowing what the audience was going to be like. I think going forward, they're going to pour a lot more into it because they know the audience is there. But, yeah, I mean... The scenes looked great. Um, they, they, t- they took us to a lot of different planets, and those planets looked really good. The fight scenes were, were really well choreographed. Imagine that. The uh, fight scenes with Cara Dune were very well choreographed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, the fact that it was set only five years after The Return of the Jedi, it felt a lot more like the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. It was grittier. It had much greater reliance on practical effects than CGI. And when it did action sequences, they were pretty good. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I only had a problems with the somewhat silliness of the story, like IG-11 riding back into town with Baby Yoda. The, the action sequences were good, but the believability of that decision... Yeah, that was a stupid was, scene, but yeah. it looked cool. It looked... Yeah, like I said, yeah. If I don't focus on the story and only look at the action sequences, uh, it was good. And I'm going to protect this baby by taking it into battle. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and basically, I, I know it turns around, but at one point, it's like wearing Baby Yoda like a bulletproof vest. Right. <laughs> it spins around, so the Baby Yoda's behind it, but it's like, yeah, really not a wise decision. But yeah, if you ignore the, that aspect of it, um, yeah, it was pretty good action yeah. sequence and practical effects. So yeah, it is nice. We did get um, a little bit more of a backdrop of what was happening. They talked a little bit about post-Endor battles. They talked a little bit about... Mm-hmm. The, the early days of a new republic is it's a joke. So I mean, they gave us a little enough of that yeah. sort of setting in that yeah, I could have done. I could have done without Tatooine. I really wish that there was more of a reason to be on Tatooine. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna jump into. We're gonna talk about that later, but let's just jump into it now. Tatooine, that episode to me, that's the weakest episode. It was pointless, and, and that was one thing. As you as you went through. In the middle, there was two or three episodes that seemed pointless because they didn't really get us anywhere in the story. And I was like, okay, they introduced us to some characters. Maybe they come up later. And a lot of times they did. But that particular episode did not tie to anything else in the rest of the series. There was really no reason to have that episode. It was also frustrating because it seemed like its ending was supposed to mean something. Yeah, again, that goes back to the the ending of it where um, uh, I lost what the name of the character was. Uh, It's over there. Oh, Fennec Shand. There we go. Yes. Her being dead or alive or whatever it is, whatever's going on with that, Mm -hmm. that really looked like it was setting up for something and then nothing ever happened. The, the character that he was with through the whole thing that was trying to become a bounty hunter never comes up again. Yeah. That, Nothing in that, that it didn't connect with anything previous. It didn't connect with anything after it. That was a pointless episode. Well, for me, I, I agree. But for me, it was also indicative of not so much that episode, but the other two episodes that I also found empty is that they couldn't go anywhere because of Baby Yoda. The prisoner, the prison break episode, I thought was the most useless episode. Because See, I liked that episode. I didn't like that it episode. It was pointless. I'll agree with that. But I liked that episode because it it established more so just how badass this Mandalorian is. Yes. Uh, but And that's where it's like, again, but it's had a snap back to he, who knows? It also gave him a little bit more of a backstory. <clears throat> well, it also made it a little bit this is the thing that, that a few people have actually asked about this. It's like, it seems a little bit because we didn't spend enough time with Mando before he got baby Yoda. Mm-hmm. The whole thing about him being basically like an honorable man mm-hmm. seemed to like clash a little bit with the whole, he seemed to have had a criminal past with the people who he did the prison break thing. Plus being a bounty hunter isn't exactly an honorable profession, I would argue that. So it's like, it, it was like, I think they should have, they showed him making an honorable decision saving baby Yoda, but I would have liked to have seen a little bit more, again, just more more time with with Mando before we, he does one job in episode one before he gets the job that is baby Yoda. Mm-hmm. I would have maybe 
I know there were only eight episodes, but I would have liked to have spent a little bit more time with Mando before he got Baby Yoda. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to disagree with you on that one. But and, I think and then, one... but the the like the farm planet episode was one of those things. Like this could have maybe have been interesting, but it was, and he was going to dump Baby Yoda there. But when the bounty hunter shows up and tries to kill Baby, Yoda, oh no, I have to take Baby Yoda away and also mm. leave Kara behind. It's like that was disappointing to me. Is this like? I almost kind of like that story, but it couldn't go anywhere. And then you introduced me to a new character that you left behind. So that's where I was getting frustrated with. Uh, yeah. If it wasn't for Baby Yoda, maybe, I don't know, he wouldn't have been there in the first place. But again, the whole idea that it just seemed like his decisions were being too dictated by. No, because again, he was going to leave Baby Yoda. He was going to leave that planet either way. He was going to leave her behind. He was going to leave and do it because. Well, he's gonna, he was originally going to ditch Yoda there, Baby Yoda. Right. There. That's what I'm saying. Is he was going to leave either way. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, it would have been nice to have her. Why she didn't go with him? Yeah. I, I, they explain it, but I think to me it would have made more sense if she went with him, mm-hmm. and it would have made a better story because then you would have had somebody to talk a little bit more, like you said before. Um, yeah, I, I initially started getting upset with that. Cause I'm like, okay. These are going to be very episodic that don't really tie into each other. There isn't a solid storyline going through. And I was really waiting to see if they were going to tie it together. So you had those three episodes in a row. You had um, that one, Sanctuary, that would be episode four. And then you had the Tatooine episode, the Gunslingers, five. And then you had Prisoner, six. And each one of those, you can watch those in any order. And it doesn't really matter. And they didn't tie together. It didn't seem like there was a through story, and I was getting really upset. And then they kind of tied a lot of it together towards the end. Yes, the first three episodes and the last two episodes tied together. When I say there were episodes that I found boring, it's those three episodes. Yeah. I had four, five, and six. I, it's like where there were standalone stories, and it's like, and I felt not only they were boring, but their even ability to not be boring was kind of Baby Yoda's fault. Except for the Tatooine episode. I'm sorry, that was just empty that, fan that was, service. Yeah, that was... Exactly. I don't like... That's the only episode, looking back, that I just don't like was that episode. Mm-hmm. I, I liked I liked the village story because I think it, it gave a little bit of... A little bit more of, hey, what happened to all the equipment that the Empire had? Right. You know, that, you know, gangs taking over that, you know, and, and, you know, how are people trying to survive after that? So that had good elements to it. Because that was also, like, knowing nothing about the show... That was kind of what I thought with El Baby Yoda. I thought that that was kind of the things he was going to be doing. Like, if he got couldn't be a bounty hunter anymore, he was going to be like a, a an honorable gun for hire, mm-hmm. going around helping people and seeing more stories like that might have actually been interesting. But again, Baby Yoda was in the way. Yeah. Um, you got to stop having expectations going into things. See, that's the whole problem. Normally, I have nothing but negative expectations or no expectations. See, I've been taught a lesson. I had expectations, and they were positive ones, and they got destroyed. Yeah, that'll learn you. That'll, that'll learn me. Yep. I and mean, some the, of the... The Prisoner uh, episode, though, I really like the Prisoner episode just because awesome fight scenes. It gave a little bit of a backstory that, that he has history as a Mandalorian away from the clan. He has a history, and they even make mention to he was even honorable as he was part of it. And they understand that, like, you've got a code of honor that you are not going to stray from. So we have to be the ones that to do that part of the mission because we know you won't do it. And even at the end of it, it shows he doesn't kill people just to kill people. Like, he, he saved those, he didn't kill those people because he didn't have to. Now, he had to kill Jawas, apparently. <laughs> 
Absolutely he, indiscriminately. But well, they that, messed up his ship. Come on, they deserved it. They they deserved it. But yeah, the whole idea that he can bring you in cold or bring you in hot, meaning he does kill people. So if a bounty, that's right. how he gets paid. So yeah, he, he's not a murderer. He's a contract killer. But again, he's not going to kill him just to kill him. It yes. would be easier to just kill him. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't want to kill him. Right, exactly. But I mean, that's what I mean. Like contract killers aren't murderers because it's like they're getting paid. They're not good people, but it's like, I'm not going to kill you just to kill you. If someone pays me money, I'll kill you. Right. <laughs> it's not exactly honorable, but it's it's more honorable than being a murderer. So, yeah, yeah, that was those aspects were there. I mean, some of the other aspects, again, if if I try to come back and say what were other things that were nice about it. As silly as it is to sound, I like the fact that the stormtroopers look grimy. Except for mm-hmm. Moff Gideon, he brought the badass stormtroopers with him because he's like the boss. Mm-hmm. But like the other ones were just like yeah. all like grimy and dirty and kind of stupid. And it's like, well, we're just still here because we have no place else to go. Right. I, I really like that. And that kind of jumps <laughs> into the next point uh, I wanted to make was I, I like that they showed the impact of the fall of the Empire and how people that were loyal to the Empire, what do they do now? And they've mm-hmm. kind of got these little factions that are they got to kind of hide, but they can be kind of in the open because they're just scary enough that people are still avoiding them. But they know that if they get too big, they're going to be taken out by the New Republic. I like how they kind of talk a little bit about how the New Republic's basically a joke. Nobody really respects the New Republic at this point. And it, Especially at the time that it's set, it it's mm-hmm. pretty much stays a joke. But yeah, five years after the right. Return of the Jedi, it's it's pretty much uh, a mess. Yeah. But one of the things I couldn't help but think about, though, is that like the Mandalorians don't take off their helmets. The Stormtroopers don't either. But if like you wanted to get out of the life if you were a Stormtrooper, they're not clones. Right. They could have just taken off their armor, and then no one would have even known that they were stormtroopers, but I guess there's probably not a lot of um, jobs that they're qualified for. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, and you got to think about too, like during their training as stormtroopers, they were basically brainwashed into this is everything they know and do. Right. Yeah. Like you said, not like they can go become a carpenter. They yeah. don't know how to swing a hammer. <laughs> uh, they wouldn't be able to hit the nail anyway. Exactly. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was one of the things that was like the two things that, were almost funny, but just went a little bit too far. Again, it was funny to me that it was Jason Sudeikis who was wearing the the Stormtrooper outfit. Mm-hmm. He's not only the one who punches Baby Yoda in the satchel, but the whole... They went a little bit too far with it. Stormtroopers can't shoot. <laughs> and it was, that just, was hilarious. It was, it was funny, but it was just a, li- a, few sh- a few shots too many. It was just a little bit too um, pounding on the joke. It's like, I get it. It's funny. You can stop doing this now. And then even having one of them like look at the gun, it's like maybe it's the gun's fault. <laughs> maybe we can't shoot anything because right. the gun sucks. So yeah, that was funny, but it's just like yeah. I like, thought it was one of those that it went on long enough. One of those jokes, kind of like a Family Guy thing, where it, it goes on long enough that it stops being funny and then just keeps going just enough to be funny again. It it felt very much Family Guy to me, and there were definitely Family Guy jokes that they don't come back around. Sometimes, Sometimes. they do. Yeah, but some, there are times when they don't come back around, and it felt like a Family Guy joke that didn't quite turn the corner and See, come back around. It turned the corner for me. Okay. Yeah, I liked. It. I, I I just like the like. Come on, just one, I gotta statistically, I gotta hit it <laughs> once. <laughs> um, let, let's jump into because we we talked about some of the nostalgia that I mean it. It was good and bad. I think um, some of the nostalgia stuff like Tatooine was brought in. Just for the nostalgia, um, and then but 
we got to see the first live action dark saber now me being somebody i really like the dark saber you saw my reaction when the dark saber came out mike gave the screen the middle finger i was pissed i'm like that's how you're going to introduce the dark saber to the live action universe is this jackass who should have died in that accident that crash that oh, crash yeah. yes cutting through like that absolute bullshit fuck you shove that dark saber up your ass and turn it on not to get vulgar yes <laughs> and again it's part of the like i know what the dark saber is you know what the dark saber is but it's like it would have been nice if this could have been at least explained enough so what that means to me is moff gideon must be the imperial who was overseeing mandalore mm-hmm. during the empire times because after um the Empire fell. Again, like I mentioned earlier, Mandalore wasn't in the Republic, didn't take sides during the Clone Wars and Rebellion. The New Republic, as inept as it was, would have been like, fuck you. We're not going to help you um, liberate your planet because you were never right. part of the Republic anyway. So that's probably why Moff Gideon was able to stay in control. But he must be in control of Mandalore and probably in part of him like breaking the wills of the population. He probably wielded the Darksabers like, I know how significant this object is to you. I control you because I have right. it. Well, no, not the, it was established at one point. I can't remember where it was that when the Republic slash Empire took over Mandalore, they stole the dark saber and hid it away to take it away from the Mandalorians because they knew how significant it was. Well, at the end of Rebels, it's given to the Mandalorian underground. But I think it's after that. Well, we we haven't seen. How, okay, what happens? Yeah, I think it's in the comic books. I about to say it might be in the comics, but like in the in the in canon television right. show, we haven't seen. But again, we we know what the dark saber is and what it means, and kind of the idea like why he probably has it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. again, nobody live action has ever talked about it. Nobody knows what. So I if think that's the way you introduce it to a, a whole group of fandom that are like, "What the fuck is that?" Yeah, about about to say, I think that's. Maybe uber nerd territory, but that's what I'm like saying. Star so, Wars fan, casual Star Wars fans would be like, "What the fuck is that?" Like again, because there are a lot of people who even are really uh, passionate Star Wars fans, but they only watch the the live action movies. Right, right. So, so where, where I'm going with this is the people that know what it is and are attached to it probably don't like that things are like that's stupid that he just has that with him, and then people that don't know what it is are so confused by that that you're not making anybody happy with that. Yeah. Like for me, it was like without a backstory, without a back, there needed to be a backstory, but like, it was also one of those other things. It's like, if there was no baby Yoda in the show, this would also make sense to me. Cause maybe Moff Gideon is ruling Mandalore and he's hunting down rogue Mandalorians because they're a threat to him staying in power, mm-hmm. which would give him a reason for being on Navarro and going after Mando. But no, the only thing we hear about is that basically he's basically the client behind the client and he does want baby Yoda. I do want to see your show. That's what I mean. It's like it, the, there is a story. I'm, I'm not sure it would necessarily be better, but I think there's a good show. Yeah, there is. That could have been. That's that's the why I had the biggest problem with, man, with baby Yoda. It didn't need to be there. Right. There could have been a but, good show. I, I know the hook for the kids. Yeah, exactly. The hook for the non-Star Wars fans that bought Disney Plus for the other stuff. And they're going to sell a ton of Baby Yoda merch. 
Exactly. And again, the whole reason why it wasn't available for Christmas, because like uh, they said, it's like it would have gave away the plot of the show if Baby Yoda dolls were on the shelves. Yeah. So they couldn't. But yeah, it's going to sell a fuck ton of merch for, for Disney, for as sure. well as for all the people who want to rip Disney off. Because all the people who were selling uh, Baby Yoda merchandise at Christmas, it's not real. It's knockoff yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah, they had, uh, uh, you don't watch it, um, Fat Man Beyond. No. It's a Kevin Smith podcast. He does a live at, um, uh, oh, what's the name of it? The Cantina, basically. There's a bar that is made to look similar to a space cantina. Uh, anyways, <laughs> they do it from there. And uh, somebody had made, like, basically knitted Baby Yoda's. And like was selling them on Etsy and, and gifted them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they looked really cool. Oh yeah. Um, and I, I don't. It maybe it's my personality that I don't really get into cutesy stuff. I don't understand why people think Baby Yoda's so cute. To me, it looks like a big eared Jabba the Hut. <laughs> <laughs> it it is cuter than Yoda. Yeah, but other than that, yeah, I I I never know. really got into any of like the cute like like people who say Babu Frick is cute. Yeah, I don't understand. It's like that I either. don't understand that at all. At least I can get some of the cuteness of Baby Yoda because they're playing up the baby angle and oh. his baby speak and some of the things he does. But yeah, I'm not a cutesy person either. I'm I'm gonna flip the uh, I'm becoming the hater switch. <laughs> Babu Frick annoyed the fucking shit out of me. <laughs> If I could punch a baby, it would be Babu Frick. And that thing was small, so I'm pretty sure I could win that fight. All right. Going back. Flip that switch back. Uh, was there any other nostalgia-type things in this series that you that you liked? No, I think we touched into? upon them all again. Seeing the, the Stormtroopers again, seeing... Um uh, Tatooine again. It was a, a use. It was empty nostalgia. Uh, again, having the look and feel of the original trilogy. I mean, I even like. I mean, it was a stupid episode, but I even like seeing the the X wings come in and blow up the uh, outpost uh, mm-hmm. when Mando screws over the people who he did the prison job for. Um, so there was enough of that uh, in there for me. So I, okay. I also wasn't. I, I I got all the nostalgia I needed from the fucking poster to seeing <laughs> the Mandalorian. So it's like, but yeah, I mean, there wasn't this fan servicing nostalgia in the sequel trilogy that just annoys me because it seems over the top. I didn't, there wasn't anything really over the top mm-hmm. for me, at least other than again, Tatooine, there should have been a, a more useful reason for them to be there. But other than that, right. I didn't have a problem with it. Yeah. I, I I'm going to go against you a little bit. It's not nostalgia, but I think the prisoner episode is probably my favorite episode just because I know people have been saying it had a horror element to it. I don't really like horror, but I like slasher. And to me, that's a little bit different. And this really had a slasher type feel to it where in it again, it exemplified just if of all of the episodes to me, this one showed his badassery. The way he was able to go through and pick them off one by one, the way he was able to, you know, they thought he was running away, and then he came back behind and took out a bunch of the the murderous robots. Uh, it just it just really exemplified his training, his badassery, his ability to adapt and to plan and, and to take control of a situation. So, to me, that was my favorite episode. Uh, as far as tying it into the rest of the series, yeah, it didn't really do a whole lot for the series, but as an individual episode, to me, it was the best episode. Well, for me, it was like the action sequences were good. The story was stupid, but the action sequences were good. 
Mm-hmm. The thing about that episode that annoyed me, which is kind of like the horror slasher thing you mentioned, the fact that the Twi'leks had um, like vampire teeth bothered me. Yeah, it could have been that this the two of them like did that to their teeth. That's how I took to make it. them look to, so that they seem badass. Like the other Twi'leks that we've seen, again, we've never seen the only other live action Twi'lek we have seen is the dancing girls in Jabba's palace. We haven't really seen one up close, but we see a lot more of them in the animated series, and that just struck me as not being correct for the for yeah. the species. But yeah, I don't even know if I could pick a um, a favorite episode because for me, I guess it would be like if you take Baby Yoda out of the first episode. <laughs> Which I mean, he wasn't even really in, but because well, he just shows up at the very end, and you're like, "What the fuck's going on?" And then so, you, do you even really see him? You just kind of see the ears poke out, don't you? You don't yeah, really see him; yeah, he's shadowy. You, yeah, you don't get a full. You're like, "What the hell was that?" And then you see more of it in the next two yeah. episodes. So, um, action sequence wise, when he goes and rescues Baby Yoda for me, I think was yeah. even better action sequence cool. than the prison one. But yeah, I, again. I do appreciate the action sequence and the use of practical effects. Mm. Although I guess, although I saw it coming, all of the Mandalorians flying in their jetpacks to come rescue him in episode three yeah. so he could get away. That was awesome, too. That was probably, I would have to say, not the best episode. Well, I guess it would be because that's also where he does all of the badass fighting mm-hmm. to get Baby Yoda. And then he need, and then the Mandalorians come out in a jetpack. So... Even though I don't like Baby Yoda or the story, I think I'd have to pick that episode as my. As I'm, the I'm best glad you brought episode. that scene up because I, I I didn't want I don't I didn't want to miss that scene when we talked about the cool stuff and the cool action scenes. Mm-hmm. That was an awesome fight scene. Uh, him taking on all the bounty hunters and then them showing up and yeah, mm-hmm. that was awesome. Uh, one thing that did upset me though is w- when they came back and they went in the sewers and they were trying to find the Mandalorians and they couldn't find them. They weren't there. I wanted it to be because they 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 left. They they uprooted because now they were outed in that system. They were going to move on. I did not like that they stayed there and got hunted down and killed. That that really upset me. I'm like, you didn't have to do that. They could have moved on. You could have had the same story. I I do not believe in the least bit that in that world in that time that the Empire forces were going to be able to take out that Mandalorian clan. Absolutely. Especially on their home turf. Absolutely no way. That upset me. Yeah, I, I found that Durr. to be... Yeah, I, I found that underwhelming because, again, it, it makes it makes the Mandalorians seem less badass. Right. And I don't know if they were trying to cull Mandalorians from the show so that Mando is one of the few left. But, yeah, I, I found that... They didn't need to do that. The fact, the fact that the armorer was even still there kind of bothered right. me too. Because well, like she should have, the whole covert should have just went to another planet up right, and left. Right. Because you got to take into effect too. Think about Mando was shown to take out like entire squads of stormtroopers himself. Yes. And it was also established that he was low on the totem pole in that clan. Like he was one of the weakest. Oh yeah, they were them. like badass. He, had, he hadn't even gotten his jetpack yet. He had his jetpack or his sigil. So yeah, the others, the others didn't even seem like they liked him all that much. He he didn't even get his full he, set of he armor. Was, he was basically still a youngling to them. Yeah, because he still had like subpar armor in the first episode. Right. And he gets the badass armor, which also was one of the things that like it showed the honorableness and the clanniness of the Mandalorians that they didn't like him, but they came to save him. But at the same time, it's like what. Are been made more sense for them to just let him die well no to reveal because, themselves and help him 
then they basically, because he even said it's like, oh, you've revealed the covert, but it's like, oh, this is the way. It's like, so, but then, like you said, the fact that they didn't didn't just up and leave, but they, they stayed there and got killed by the Empire yeah. seemed kind of stupid. See, I like that they came because it showed that even though they didn't like him, they accepted that he was part of the clan, and they protect each other, and they, they stand up for each other. Yeah, because they, they didn't like him, and they really didn't like that he used Imperial Biscar to make his armor. Yeah, yeah. Which is another one of those dorky things that only Uber Star Wars nerds know. I didn't know anything about it. Biscar is basically the ore that is unique yeah. to Mandalore, and that's basically what the Empire stripped. It was basically the entire value of the planet to the Empire was Biscar, and he stripped the planet of it. Yeah. And that's basically what... Um, so it, it was important not only because it makes kick-ass armor, but it has cultural significance to the Mandalorians. And that is because it was developed because Beskar just happens to be lightsaber-resistant. Yes, it's one of the few lightsaber-resistant armors in the Star Wars universe. Right, exactly. Well, uh, I think that's about all we got, so let's let's wrap things up. What is what is your metaphorical rating? Uh, okay. Actually, <laughs> I want to go last. Why don't you do your metaphorical right. rating first? All right, I'll do mine first. For me, uh, this got a malfunctioning jetpack. Um <laughs> A malfunctioning jetpack is still a jetpack. It's still really cool. Um, the series had some misfires. It malfunctions from time to time, but it was still a fun ride. You still got to ride a jetpack around. Um, parts of the series go really slow. Other parts seem to like really rushed. I really wish they would have eliminated the uh, Tatooine episode and made the last three two episodes into three episodes. Give them time to explain because they really rushed the end to me. Um, there are parts at the end that made zero sense. Like they came out like, oh, now we know the Empire is no longer in the city. How do you know that? You weren't in contact with anybody. There's no way of actually knowing that. You just happen to know that to wrap things up quickly because you're out of time. Things like that just really bothered me. Um, but overall, it was a, it was a fun story. Um, some things didn't make sense. But again, that's that's common in Star Wars. Uh, you could go watch any Star Wars anything. And there's things that just don't make sense. They don't click together. Um, it, it's not like they have a big, wide open, hey, we, we have a timeline here and everything has to connect perfectly in this. They're wedging things in. They, they were always, even the original trilogy, they kind of wedged some things in and figured it out as it went along. And it, it works, but it doesn't work. You just got to ignore what doesn't work and take the ride with the stuff that does work. That makes sense. For me, as I explained a little bit earlier, I've decided to view anything in Star Wars that's set after the Return of the Jedi as being non-canon. So to me, this was just like a bad Legends novel or beginning of a series of Legends novels that I don't like. But I also think that this, this and how badly... Again, we're going to talk about the sequel trilogy in many other episodes, but this TV show and the sequel trilogy, to me... I have basically gives me a, a, a vote of no confidence, not in Chancellor Valorum, prequel reference, uh, but a vote of no confidence in Disney's ability to tell stories that are set after the events of uh, the Return of the Jedi. So for me, uh, again, still a Star Wars fan, will always be a Star Wars fan, but for me, I can't get into the Mandalorian or anything that Disney does post uh, Return of the Jedi, because for me, this is Star Wars. The Disney way, corporate crappy fan fiction. I have spoken. All right. Um, I want to end with one quick little reference. If anybody ever watches the Schmodown Entertainment Network, which is new, Schmodown is basically it's uh, it it takes 
the idea of, of professional wrestling and then turns it into movie trivia. So the characters, instead of fighting each other in the ring, they're fighting each other, their movie trivia questions. But they, the same like character development, and they've got like you know uh, promos and stuff like that. So the, the main guy behind that now has his own YouTube channel called the Schmodown Entertainment Network. And Thursday, he had a guy on that does, uh, he, he does voice work and stuff like that. I think he does, he's an actor as well. Um, Josh Thompson, I was starting to try to look up his name, but I didn't quite get it in time. In Thursday's episode, which would have been, I have a calendar here, uh, January 9th episode. He does a bunch of different voices kind of on the spot. And they they give him a setup of, hey, did you know that Morgan Freeman was initially going to do the voice for, <laughs> for Jar Jar Binks? And this guy does Morgan Freeman doing Jar Jar Binks <laughs> lines. <laughs> and it is some of the funniest stuff I've ever heard in my life. I highly recommend if anybody is a Star Wars fan, or if you liked or disliked Jar Jar, please look up parts of that. It is fantastic. I have spoken. Thank you for listening to Fanboy and the Hater. We really appreciate it and would love to hear your feedback. Give us a rating. Write a review. Reach out to us on Twitter at Fanboy and Hater. Email us at thefanboyandthehater at gmail.com. You can find all of our episodes on our website, fanboyandhater.podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Where you can download the free Podbean mobile app for Android and iOS. You can also find us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many more. Once again, thanks for listening to The Fanboy and the Hater.